Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Yes, indeed. It's time for some good, some bad, and some crazy little Three Martini Lunch on this gorgeous day. I'm Chad Benson, in for Greg Corumbus. Uh, as always, Jim Garrity is here. And Jim... Let's start with some good today. Uh, The Republicans winning the Senate. It feels like the momentum's on the red side of the aisle, and it feels like it could be heading uh, and picking up even more momentum. Are we looking at a victory for the Republicans when it comes to taking back not just the House, which I think is a foregone conclusion, but the Senate? Chad, it feels like for a long time that, that conventional wisdom was, okay, Republicans have the House, so they're very likely to win the House. But the Senate's going to be a much steeper climb, and they've got flawed candidates, so it's probably not going to happen. And really, up until just a few days ago, 538.com was saying that this was a 50-50 look. They've now said Republicans are slightly favored to win control of the Senate. And I think if you, you just look at the map, almost everything has gone the way Republicans would like. Uh, They've had a lead in Nevada for a long stretch. Now, the one cautionary note I put there is that in the past... Democrats have overperformed their final polling averages by a few points. They generally have, or at least in the past, they had a very good get-out-the-vote operation run by Harry Reid. Harry Reid is uh, no longer with us, and so maybe it won't be quite the same as it used to be, but I don't think if you're a Republican, you'd like to have a lead closer to that three- or four-point range rather than one- or two-point range. Uh, Georgia, I think we can now definitively say that the abortion story did not... uh, end the campaign or, or effectively uh, ruin Walker's uh, uh, chances. Uh, last two polls have him ahead by a few points. In fact, he's led uh, five of the last six polls. Now, again, you got to hit 50%, so I could see that one going to a runoff very easily. But that's still pretty, you know, uh, better than where Republicans probably thought they were going to be a couple weeks ago. And then uh, you go to Arizona. Um, actually, the third one I would say of that troika is Pennsylvania. Um, I've, I was among those who thought that the debate was going to be kind of close the book on this race. Hasn't quite done that. Um, I don't. I think, by the way, the fact that that debate did not instantly nuke the chances of John Fetterman is a very illustrative point about how the effective debates. Um, but the last two polls have Oz by one point, Susquehanna and Emerson. It, you'd probably say Oz is no worse than 50-50 or something in that area. And, uh, you know, the Republicans take those. They've got the, the chamber. Now, as you mentioned, this Arizona, which is looking a little bit better, and New Hampshire is looking better. Um, so now, all of a sudden, you're going from the Republicans with three pickups. Well, maybe they got four or five. Then you could have, you know, not just a 51-seat uh, majority, but a bit more. And there's another part of the story that I feel like really has gotten glossed over as we focus in on these tightest of races. You just don't hear Democrats talking about beating Ron Johnson in Wisconsin anymore. You don't hear about uh, talk about the open seat race in North Carolina. It looks like Ted Budd has that one pretty much in hand. And you don't hear talk about Tim Ryan beating J.D. Vance in Ohio anymore. And it might be closer than usual for a Republican in Ohio, but I think that one's pretty much in the bag. Add it all up, and it looks like a really good chance for Republicans to have at least 51 seats and maybe more when the new uh, session convenes. You know, uh, the whole thing about Pennsylvania, uh, I got to be honest, I think that the stroke has in the 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 way that people have approached it is almost helped him in a sense that I think people feel kind of they, they stay out of their way to criticize or to say anything or say that it's going to be an issue almost like it's they're they're pitying him it sounds maybe harsh but I think that's the reality of it 
Yeah, I, I that, that is a state and a set of circumstances where it wouldn't stun me if Oz ended up winning by a bunch and we look at the po final polls and we're like, oh, wow, why why did you know Fetterman underperform so much? And it may well be people don't want to admit that they're not voting for him. Uh, they feel like that would be mean. They feel like that would be somehow punishing uh, Fetterman for having the stroke. Uh, they may feel like, you know, it's it's a socially unapproved opinion right now. But I think, in the you know, there's a good chance. Or maybe it turns out to be nothing. Maybe people vote exactly as they expect. But if it does go that way, I do wonder if the stroke made it uh, uncomfortable for Pennsylvanians to openly express what they were thinking, lest they be accused of picking on a man who's got a serious ailment. Absolutely. And, you know, his wife, I think, wants it more than he does, to be honest with you. I think he wants to go back to running a town of like eight people. Uh, Chad Benson in for Greg Columbus is always Chip Garrity here's three martini lunch. We go from the good to the bad. Uh, I think you're absolutely right about this. I talked about it on my show. Uh, the fact that our intelligence is saying, hey, uh, the Russians uh, upper, 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 upper echelon of folk got together and they were like, so tactical nuke battlefield. How would this work? kind of thing uh, is scary. And the fact that not many people are talking about it is also scary. Yeah. So this comes from several sources. CNN has it, but so do the Times and Washington Post. They're talking to senior U.S. officials who say that intelligence indicates Russian military officials have, quote, discussed how and under what conditions Russia would use a tactical nuclear weapon on the battlefield of Ukraine. Um, and they say they have multiple sources saying this. Now, they say this is not uh, the same as ordering a use of what these weapons. It's not science that they have deployed these weapons or are preparing them, but it does feel like it's one more step closer to the use of a tactical nuclear weapon. And that's bad. That That is that is very much sort of thing like if, you know, as much as we imagine scenarios like the day after or, or something like that, to use a tactical nuclear weapon in uh, on the battlefield, you probably would see several steps in preparation for it. And the first one would be discussions like this. Now, again, this doesn't mean Putin has decided to use it. It doesn't mean this sort of thing is imminent, but it feels really ominous. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's the midterms, maybe it's the uh, other news events, maybe it's the fact that, you know, Putin has been kind of rattling the saber on nuclear, uh, tactical nuclear weapons use for, for a couple months now. But I feel like we've kind of gotten used to it. We almost kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, they're talking about it. And we really shouldn't. It was, you know, a couple of months, about a month ago when Biden is, you know, casually referred to Armageddon during a Democratic fundraiser. You know, those of us on the outside, we don't know how serious this is. We don't know whether there's a 5% chance that Putin decides to use one of these weapons or whether there's a 50% chance or a 60 or even more percent chance of them using something like that. And I've kind of had this feeling all fall that if God forbid he does this in December or January at some point in the future, we're going to be saying to ourselves, why didn't we do more now, you know, in, in September and October and November to more effectively deter this option? Um, we will see, again, maybe this is just idle chatter, so to speak, but this does attribute it to senior Russian generals. And this says the conversations reveal their intensifying frustration about Russia's losses on the battlefield in Ukraine. And some officials fear that frustration could turn into desperation. That all sounds really uh, ominous. And I just kind of feel like we're kind of, if not sleepwalking past it, I, I, I definitely feel like the general public is just kind of shrugging and tuning it out when the stakes here are very, very high. First use of nuclear weapons in war since 1945. If, if we weren't going through just coming out of COVID, 
if we weren't in a position where we're got the midterms right here, the the battle of crazy 24-7 news that goes on, do you think if it was a little bit more settled that this would be a much bigger story, but because everybody's so myopic right now in what they're focusing on at home, that this has lost any real, outside of him using a nuke, people really aren't going to pay attention? Chad, I think you're you're very much on the right track there because... My colleague, Michael Brendan Doherty, observed over the last couple of days, really over the last couple of weeks, North Korea has been firing off missiles that are forcing the Japanese to rush to bomb shelters and, and you know, cover their heads, et cetera, uh, all landing out in the Pacific Ocean, uh, thankfully. But they fire, their, they usually test fire their missiles over J- Japanese airspace. And uh, that's that's barely been a blip here in the news cycle here in the United States. We've all just kind of gotten used to North Korea firing off missiles. It's not even the sort of thing that worries us anymore. Um, and you're right. I think, you know, COVID exhaustion and, and various other factors are kind of making us not deal with this. But the other thing, which I feel like not all, but a big chunk of the mainstream media wakes up every morning and kind of has this instinct of, OK, show me how the Republicans are bad today and show me how the Democrats are good today. And the Russian aggression against Ukraine is a little bit of a complication to that story because Joe Biden was telling us, you know, when I'm president, Vladimir Putin knows his days of bullying Eastern Europe are over. You know, the grownups were supposedly back in charge. America was back. And the fact that the U.S. was not able to deter the invasion is, uh, you know, certainly a point of frustration for the Biden administration. It created a new crisis in Europe, and it is this now major foreign policy challenge, both for the, the administration, for the country as a whole. Uh, for the global economy, for gas prices, for food prices, all kinds of consequences to this. And the administration, you know, I, I don't quite want to say they're a failure. Uh, we haven't seen the use of nukes yet, but uh, otherwise we've not managed to deter the invasion or all kinds of horrific war crimes over there. And I think yeah. that kind of limits the interest in this. If this was a Republican administration, we'd be hearing every day how Trump or Bush or whoever the Republican president was had failed to stop Putin and they were not doing enough, et cetera, et cetera. As is, I think people are, I think the the left of center mainstream media is kind of embarrassed by how badly things have gone regarding Vladimir Putin. And they'd rather just not dwell on the topic because they don't like talking about the failures of democratic administrations. Uh, Chad Benson in for uh, Mr. Greg, not always here, uh, Columbus, and uh, of course, otherwise, Jim Garrity here. We've had your, your good, your bad. Let's get to a little bit of crazy. And obviously, the story about Paul Pelosi being attacked, first and foremost, was crazy. But y- y- then you start to unravel some of the wackiness around it from uh, uh, who's watching or not watching the Pelosi house. And, and just it, it, the whole thing is just a, it, it seems like a, a, a sad comedy of errors. Yeah. And look, from the very beginning, as soon as people saw the news coverage and the photos of the Pelosi house, people were saying, hey, wait a minute, I see security cameras. What's going on there? Why didn't they see the guy breaking in? And I guess he smashed in the uh, sliding glass door. Where was everybody? Well, it turns out that the U.S. Capitol Police does have access to those cameras and does have access to the video feeds from those cameras. However, in their words, in a press release that came out yesterday, the San Francisco cameras were not actively monitored as they are when the speaker is at the residence. Nancy Pelosi was in Washington, D.C. at that time. So that's the answer to that. <clears throat> they have security cameras, but nobody was watching at the time. That is extraordinarily frustrating. And I kind of went through in today's morning jolt three aspects. Apparently, the uh, attacker entered the country on a short-term visa, kind of the equivalent of a tourist visa, back in 2008, 
In other words, back during the George W. Bush administration. Um, he should have gone back in 2008, and instead he has remained in the United States. <clears throat> never ran into ICE, never ran into... Obviously, he lives in a sanctuary city, so he never had to fear deportation. Uh, clearly, the attacker had all kinds of serious mental health issues. Everybody who interacted with him could see so. Apparently, like a week before the attack, he wrote that he believed his friend had been attacked by an invisible fairy, and that the invisible fairy sometimes appeared to him in the form of a bird. Um, now, state of California spends something like in the neighborhood of like $1.4 billion per year on mental health treatment. Uh, as far as we know, and it's been several days, and people have been digging into the background of this attacker, uh, this guy has never been in a mental health treatment program, state-run, city-run, or private one, at least as far as we know. So if these programs, apparently they just never came across him, never encountered him, never got him into that. So if he had been into that, well, maybe he might have been involuntarily committed. Maybe he might have been on medication that could have mitigated this. Um, or at the very least, there'd be some sort of effort to treat him for his uh, paranoid delusions that I think were a major factor in his desire to uh, do some terrible things to Paul Pelosi and wanting to uh, not merely, you know, uh, confront Nancy Pelosi. According to the uh, the indictment, he wanted to break her kneecaps. She, he believed that she was the queen of the lies and that he would somehow make an example of her uh, by breaking her kneecaps. This is, a, this is a sick, terrible individual. And I hope he gets the, uh, the book thrown at him. Um, but then the kind of the last aspect of all this is, that, as I mentioned, that the, the Capitol Police, look, we have a site that has cameras, but nobody was watching the feeds at that time. This is a series of government failures to protect people from someone like this nut job. And somehow last night, President Biden transmogrified it all into a continuation of January 6th and basically said the lesson was, in order to preserve your right to choose the candidate of your choice in the future, you have no choice but to pick the candidate of his choice this cycle, which I do not think was a very persuasive one. But uh, that was kind of my thinking on how, you know, Paul Pelosi and this terrible event that happened to him is somehow turning into campaign fodder in the final days of this campaign. Yeah, it really is. And again, uh, you know, having lived in California, a vast majority of my life, it has gotten worse and worse. Uh, my family refuses to go to Los Angeles anymore. My little brother has to go normally to uh, a children's hospital in Los Angeles. And they refuse to go up there uh, anymore without, you know, either myself being in town or 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 my other brother uh, or they try to do it in Orange County if they can, because it, where the hospital is, you can't get to the hospital without going by people who are insane, people that are on drugs. It's, you know, my mother got chased last time she was there. It's just they've allowed this to go on and on and on and on. And this is what you got. I, I read some of this guy's stuff. I don't know if you have, Jim, but he had a blog where he wrote one word. He wrote the letter A with a period and then the word turd. And then another one was just the word Indians. He is he's got problems. And that is, you know, and his family readily admits. And so does his friend. Oh, yeah, he's mentally deranged. But he, it's unfortunate that we're also missing the bigger picture of here. This is what happens in California all the time when it comes to the mental illness, the drugs. It's 70% rise in places like Sacramento of homelessness over the last couple of years. And most of that is mental illness and drugs. Yeah, this was a, in part a policy decision, a consequence of the policy decisions of localities in the state of California and the U.S. Capitol Police's point of view of how to... Uh, what was necessary to protect Nancy Pelosi and the fact that they didn't feel there was any need to monitor her home when she's not there. 
And, you know, instead it's because, oh, it's the fault of you, voter, you ordinary person, you ordinary Republican. It's your fault. Well, no. In fact, Republicans for a long time have supported very tough immigration enforcement, very tough uh, crime enforcement, very tough, uh, you know, perhaps even you know, involuntary commitment of the people uh, with mental health problems if they seem to be a threat to either themselves or others. Um, this is all, you know, it, well, this is, I think, a great deal of blame shifting in the final days, when in fact, this is another illustration of the terrible, terrible consequences of, of unwise policy choices. Yeah, sad, sad indeed, but not sad being here. I'm Chad Benson. Follow me at Chad Benson Show uh, in for a great criminal. I'll be in again tomorrow. As always, Jim Garrity's here. Jim, people want to read all your stuff and connect with you. Where do they go? Nationalreview.com and on Twitter, I am at Jim Garrity. That's easy, simple, fun, liked it, enjoyed it. Hey guys, we know there's so much going on in the news, but don't worry because we're here to talk about all the things. Biden continues to embarrass America by getting lost on stage and dozing off during interviews. And the January 6th committee wants millions more from us to continue their witch hunt when we have so many bigger issues. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.